0: Welcome to the Penguin Magic Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Tate. We have a great show for you this week. The main event is Underground Phenom and all-around nice guy, Jeremiah Zuo. Fresh off his killer Penguin Live lecture, we talk about his self-description as a fan of magic, despite being not only an accomplished sleight-of-hand artist, but also a critically acclaimed creator of magic. Nick Lacapo joins me via Skype to talk about the featured download of the week, this time for the man, the myth, the hair, Dan Harlan. Before all that, the show kicks off with Adam Christing, joining me in studio for Desert Island Magic Books. Adam Christing, thanks so much for joining me here on the Penguin Magic Podcast for Desert Island Magic Books. Let's suppose you wash up on a desert island with one magic book, and its we're going to assume it's made of Tyvek, so it's not going to fall <laughs> apart in the wind and the rain. What is your Desert Island Magic Book?
1: Oh, Eric, you're putting me on the spot so much. First of all, the soundtrack, I'd have the police song, Message in a Bottle, playing <laughs> because I don't want to send a message. I need more books. So my goal here is to give you five.
0: Okay. And then I'm going to whittle you down to one. Oh, that's painful. Okay. I know.
1: I've got to go with the first book uh, that I ever picked up uh, with magic, Harry Lorraine's book, The Magic Book. Oh, that's such a good book. Because you really feel like he's right there in the room with you teaching you. He's such uh, an artist with uh, written language. Now, some of the other books might not be magic books. Mm-hmm. Um, But I'll come up with a magic book. Another one is Influenced by Robert Cialdini. It's not a magic book, but oh my goodness.
0: You know, I've done this segment a lot, and people are always picking magic books because it is Desert Island magic book. But I think what is often overlooked is that some of the most valuable lessons you can learn as a magician often come from books that are not... About magic, I think the one that always sort of like crops up in the back of my mind is the one that talks about 10,000 hours from, uh, oh, the, the tipping point guy. Uh, I can't remember his yes, name. Yes,
1: yes. Malcolm Gladwell. Malcolm
0: Gladwell. And he's got that sort of point about like 10,000 hours to make you an expert. And it was reading some of that stuff that really refined a lot of my practice processes, even though you, uh, you don't see that stuff come up in a magic book.
1: Well, I think there's something, marketing wizard, uh, Jay Abraham talks about cross-pollinating, where you can take something you learn in one field and bring it into another, and uh, that's so fun. And so that book by Robert Cialdini called Influence is is like real human magic, where he unpacks six persuasion buttons that get people to say yes, and it's it's almost dangerous. It's so powerful, but used ethically, it can be a really dynamic uh, resource for uh, persuasion
0: is there any is there any of that that you have used in your own work as a speaker and a magician in some of the the sort of more corporate friendly shows that you do any of that persuasion technique well, absolutely one of the six buttons that
1: Cialdini teaches is called reciprocation we're much more likely to say yes to something or to someone when we feel like we've first been given to and so when you give away gift items. Um, and here's the key. You don't want to make them promotional. You don't always want to put your name on everything. Ideally, you want to put their name on a gift. So sometimes I'll buy uh, fairly expensive gift items for clients, like a, an engraved uh, carving knife or something like that. Mm-hmm. And it can be so powerful. That's going to make them much more likely to want to continue to do business with me. Now, that's not my main motive. My, mo- my main motive is
0: gratitude. Yeah. But it really does come back to you. That. Uh, Providing someone with an interesting gift that is maybe it costs a little bit more, but is going to really stick in their memory. And th- that key is the interesting and not just not just something expensive, but something interesting. The idea of giving someone a custom car a custom engraved carving knife is is a really interesting thing that they're never gonna forget. Because how often does someone give you a knife, let alone one with your name on it?
1: Well, if you like this topic, I highly recommend another book called Giftology, where this author unpacks the unbelievable power of surprising people with personalized gifts mm-hmm. and uh, I just had this experience sending we sent our daughter off to a university up in Canada and she and I had a dad daughter uh, experience together where I gifted her with this uh, very beautiful Japanese bowl and I told her to put it in a bag this was not a magic trick but it was yeah. kind of a, a mystical moment we shared she dropped the bowl uh, Eric on oh. the cement on purpose yeah and it shattered into many pieces. And then I gave her in this kit, this golden glue, and she glued the pieces back together. And a couple hours later, it's this work of art. It's this special memory. And I think that's ultimately what we want to create as magicians is memories for people, experiences where they, they feel like something happened to me and something happened with me.
0: Adam, uh, I love that I have you. Clearly, you, the the book Influence was was really good. Uh, it was a, an excellent read because I tried to pin you down one magic book, and you gave me three. <laughs> yes. And then the Giftology book allowed you to give me give me this gift of three. So those are those are three fantastic books uh, that I think every magician would should read. Thanks so much for joining me here on Desert Island Magic. My books. pleasure. Thank you. Thanks so much to Adam Christing for joining me on Desert Island Magic Books, which this week is brought to you by Shazam, the podcast that hopes to make itself obsolete. Their November 16th episode features Karen Maruyama, a comedy legend who talks the real work of authenticity on stage. We love everything Kayla is doing over there. Go give it a listen now. On to the main event. Jeremiah Zuo is a name whispered about at magic conventions for his dynamic coin work, amazing card magic, and absurdist presentations. His Penguin Live lecture was one of the most anticipated releases in recent memory. Despite being hailed by his peers as one of the people on the bleeding edge of magic, Jeremiah refuses to call himself a magician. He insists he is just a fan. After watching him wreck Darren Harwin's mind over and over again, I had to find out why he thinks of himself as a magic fan and not an actual magician. So we sat down, and now you get to join our conversation. Jeremiah Zuo, thanks so much for joining us here on the Penguin Magic Podcast, and I thoroughly enjoyed the lecture that you just gave, an all-coin magic lecture by a guy who claims to not be a coin guy, and yet it's it's full of all kinds of great... Why do you not consider yourself a coin guy?
2: Uh, So I don't consider myself a coin guy... Just numerically, like primarily I do card magic. Like, If you just Mm -hmm. drew a list of everything I am capable of doing or have done for an audience, my card magic way outnumbers the coin magic. Mm -hmm. And I also don't do a lot of the standard stuff that coin magicians do. So I was like, I can't really classic palm. How can you consider yourself a coin magician if you can't classic palm? Just that kind of stuff.
0: That leads me to a really interesting point that you make on both your website and uh, you also made that point in the lecture, which is, you don't consider yourself a magician you consider yourself a fan of magic which is frankly shocking to me considering the the depth which which you have approached many of the effects that you put in your lecture how can you walk me through that thought process
2: uh, absolutely uh, and i'm i'm very intentional in in using that language and i, and I talked about this in uh, the opening of of my card this card book i published called confessions of a magic fan and uh, I had read an, uh, an essay in uh, Tommy Wonder's Books of Wonder, uh, I think it was volume two, where he talked about the problem of universal uh, brotherhood thinking, like the, this kind of entitlement that comes from everyone thinking, well, I'm a magician, so I'm entitled to anything from any other magician. Mm-hmm. And he kind of related this, this story of Fred Cap's uh, being approached by someone at a, at a convention and this someone kind of just expected Fred Cap's to pour out all his secrets to him and said, ah, come on, I'm, I'm a colleague. I'm a and Fred Cap said, you're not my colleague. You're a gardener. I'm a magician. And hmm. that clicked something for me, mm-hmm. which might be the opposite thing that clicked for most people. For me, it kind of had this freeing realization of, hey, I'm not a magician. There are some things, there are some things that make you less of a magician, not less of a person, not less of a person, but mm-hmm. less of a magician. Mm-hmm. And I think we normally use the category in magic. You have lay people, yeah. and then you have magicians, mm-hmm. and then there's various levels within the category of magician. But I actually think, besides just making a pointless semantic distinction, I think there's a, a real benefit to adding a third category, which is magic fan. I, I am mm-hmm. a fan of magic. I really like magic. I like watching it. I like thinking about it. Just like and not everyone who loves basketball. And who even plays a lot of basketball or plays basketball every day on the week every weekend mm-hmm. uh, is a basketball player uh, in the same way I think not everyone uh, who loves magic is a magician but they might just be a fan and that's that's what I consider myself and not I think within the fans you have a total levels I think there are fans that never become uh, never grow past being lay people they always experience magic as lay pe- people but not every lay person who likes magic is necessarily a fan just like not everyone who can watch and enjoy a basketball game is necessarily a fan. There's an extra level of commitment required, whether you learn magic or not. And, you know, some magic fans, hey, they, they go to conventions. They read a lot. They they watch a lot of magic. They buy a lot of magic. And that's me. Like, I love this. I love, uh, I love participating in magic. I have lots of friends in magic. But I don't consider myself a magician. And I think it has real benefit uh, because yeah i'm
0: I'm really curious here because you're you're describing yourself as not of a magician, but when I watch the magic that you do so I'm just going to use your lecture as an example because i I haven't seen you do any formal shows, and my only real experience with you is a really interesting download that you put out a number of years ago with a card change uh, and you know the when you perform some of these routines, it's very engaging, it's very magical. Uh, You know, whether or not you're claiming credit for it from having a sort of quote-unquote power set, uh, you are sort of engaging in all of the usual trappings of a magician, even though some of your presentations are more absurdist humor or maybe a little bit outside of what a lot of other magicians would approach. But even then, I think that that just sets you apart from the magical pack. So I'm curious as to how you are making that distinction for yourself as a magic fan.
2: Yes, that's an excellent question because as soon as you introduce that third category and say there's also magic fans, then there's the question, well, what distinguishes a magic fan from a magician? And I don't think that there's like a list of rules or like a bullet point list that I could give you. Mm -hmm. But I think that the difference between a magician and a magic fan has to involve an intersection between the objective and the subjective, meaning your accomplishment, uh, how, how successful you are. And so I'm not saying it's, it's not about, uh, money. It's Mm -hmm. not whether you're a professional or an amateur. It's not whether, uh, you're, you know, you're famous. I'm not talking about that, but Mm -hmm. just in terms, I think there is an objective element where the wider magic world has to recognize you as a magician. That's incredibly important. Mm. Uh, a, uh, piece of whether or not someone is a magician or not. And like I said, there could be bad magicians, good magicians. It's, it's not a matter of, of skill necessarily. It's that
0: It's the, the wider community itself yep. is recognizing you and saying, that is a magician, but this yep. is an example of a wonderful magician yep. or a crap magician.
2: Exactly. Okay. And then there's the subjective, which is how you define yourself, which is what you think about yourself. And the mm-hmm. fact of the matter is there is no context in my life where someone asked me, hey, nice to meet you. What are you? magician never comes to my mind it, mm-hmm. it just never does i don't you know it's the same you know like just like if you ask someone yeah. who's like a big basketball fan like to describe themselves like that you know they don't say like i'm a fan of michigan state you know they just say oh i'm i'm a husband i'm a father i'm i work at this i do this for my job there's just literally no context where i ever subjectively think about myself as a magician it's it's and then there are lots of other practical things where like i things I've chosen not to pursue that most magicians generally mm-hmm. pursue in terms of performances mm-hmm. and, and things like that. I'm content to just do what I like and watch what I like and not worry about
0: it. I think it's really interesting that you've you forged your own path in magic. And, and I think that there's a lot of people who would they go, oh, man, I, I want to become a full-time creator and a full-time performer or something like that. And I think that you've really taken ownership of your relationship with magic in ways that other Sorry people have Sorry to interrupt, haven't. but this week the show is brought to you by Dan Harlan's Starkle. Nick Lacapo joined me via Skype to talk about this featured download of the week. Nick, what is one of the most memorable Dan Harlan tricks that you've ever seen?
3: Uh, all of them? <laughs> uh, I mean, look... So I've been lucky to p- perform in the show for with Dan for almost a decade, and I've seen just about every one of his signature pieces. And I know that, like, the ones that he relies on, and then I also know the ones that, like, the rest of the professionals out there come to the show and say, you know, I do one Dan Harlan trick, and it's Starkle. Yeah. Um, a lot of the top pros perform this, this piece of magic, and I say that specifically piece of magic because it really is, like, a very magical piece that can work for literally any audience. Uh, What happens is he just has a paper napkin and he tears a whole, I mean, it's got a really, part of this is the script. And he's talking about being a little kid and, uh, and his mom used to tell him about the stars at night. I'm not trying to get too corny here, but it is important to the overall Effect. Essentially, what he does is he cuts, he uh, tears a circle out of a napkin, yeah, and then through magic, it transforms into a star.
0: Yeah, the the, the portion that you yeah, so the the you tear the portion. you tear the circle out of the napkin, and then you hand it to your spectator, and that portion that they he tore out with a, that was a circle transforms into a star. It's very good. It's mm-hmm. it's really easy. The uh, tu- uh, the tutorial is very clear, uh, so you can understand it, and it all happens with one tear, which is what's so exciting. That's,
3: that's the crazy thing, yeah. right? There's a couple tricks like this, Eric, where I watched Dan perform this trick for five years, right? And I was, I you know, I I think I knew how it worked because it yeah. just seemed like there must have been a switch or something, but then it just turned out the the night that I saw him explain it, he was like. It only takes one tear. I'm like, wait, yeah. well, wait a minute. What about the switch? He's like, no, there's no switch. It's just, it's just one tear. So I, the method itself is a magic trick. Yeah. For yourself. This it's is very, one, It's very weird.
0: This is one of those tricks that like only Dan Harlan could create, uh, just because he's so fascinated with math and geometry, and it. it, it it's a really beautiful piece of magic. And and I've seen so many performers handle it so well and and Dan handles it so well himself, but it's just, it's one of those pieces that if you're going to be doing magic and you're, you need a piece to drop into your show to get like a couple of extra minutes, but you also want to like grab your audience by the heartstrings. It, ticks all the boxes it's so good and it's like what is it like 10 bucks or something like that so like it's like
3: 10 bucks like even getting it at a discount it's a steal closer right like you bring a kid up on stage you do this and you you bring the place down
0: yeah it's so good Starkle check it out that was Starkle available at penguinmagic.com and hey as a special thank you for listening to the show if you enter the discount code penguinpod at checkout you'll get 25% off Starkle that's PenguinPod. P-E-N-G-U-I-N-P-O-D, all one word, for 25% off Starkle at checkout. That code is good until next Wednesday at midnight. Now, back to my conversation with Jeremiah Zuo. You've really taken ownership of your relationship with magic in ways that other people haven't.
2: It's particularly freeing, because now I can watch something really good, and sometimes you watch something really good, and you're like, man, that's inspiring. And sometimes Mm. you watch something that's so good, it's like... deflating you're like i'm never going to be that good (laughs) and like now i like i don't feel that uh kind of disappointment when because i know like well that's not my thing i'm not i'm not a magician i love watching it i love experiencing it and seeing it and i actually think that the distinction helps solve uh kind of one of these perennial debates in magic which is the whole issue of magic for magicians right yeah when we talk about magic for magicians it's usually said in a very pejorative way like oh that that trick that's magic for magicians it's not a good a good trick but when you phrase it like that you make it sound like the debate is over the audience right Mm, yeah but hold on a second there are a whole group of people most of them go by the word magician but i think a lot of them are just magic fans like me Mm. who really love magic and uh why shouldn't we do magic for people like them why shouldn't we delight our fans right no other art form is aimed 100 at the lay person right because there are just so many things that you can't appreciate if you're a layperson, that you can appreciate as a magic fan. Now, I, I get it. There's a difference. There's a huge thing that is lost when you're not fooled. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's a huge loss that comes as a magic fan that I don't experience the same way like a random person off the street experiences, but that doesn't make me convince me that magic as an art form should be philosophically only aimed at the layperson.
0: Yeah, that's, that's a really interesting point because there's, there's some magic... That I see particularly performed at conventions where you almost never see it performed for lay people. And there's good reasons why is because of sort of the methodology or the presentation is designed to create red herrings that send the magician in their mind, even unconsciously down towards this path, almost like using the Juan Tamaras magic way formulation where it's like you're you're presenting this path and then you're shutting that door and you're opening this method uh, methodological path and shutting the door and you can do that with magicians and really fool the daylights out of them by using their own uh, their own knowledge against them even though that is never the kind of magic that you would perform for a lay audience because they don't have that knowledge, that pre- The presupposition of having that knowledge, and that doesn't mean it's a bad piece of magic or a bad piece of uh, performance or theater, it's just that the audience that it was aimed at was the wrong audience or not the correct audience for that particular piece. Exactly.
2: I really appreciate that there are magicians out there who still like to take advantage of what I know Mm -hmm. and fool and delight me and the fact of the matter is most magic for magicians that people decry as bad is just like it doesn't please most magicians that's why they're complaining about it Mm -hmm. it's not the issue of the audience it's the issue of construction or narrative consistency all sorts of things the audience shouldn't be the the when when you say magic for magicians it's like you're saying magicians aren't a legitimate audience or mm-hmm. in my case what i say magic fans because most magicians are mm-hmm. not most but yeah. a lot of magicians should just join me and say no i'm just a fan i just love this
0: i think this is a really interesting in the context of like reviewing magic when a new product comes out because i think that there are a lot of products that don't get the the love that they deserve because as magicians we sort of like we see the method like in the demo and we go oh i know how, i know what that is it's just you know a double lift or just a double backer or it's just you know centralizing the card or something like that you know and then and the product sort of gets dismissed but what's really valuable about the product is some of the thinking that goes into the construction of the presentation and the way this sort of series of moves or the way the gimmick is constructed and this and it's it's that it doesn't fool me therefore it's a bad trick whereas your not taking the idea of the audience that it's aimed at into context here and if you're reframing yourself as a magic fan you might actually want to buy that trick because you will want to perform it for people and it, it's this it's, it's, it's you're raising these interesting questions of like the lens of the audience through which they experience that magic and it's, it's really fascinating
2: yeah, there's, there's an interesting kind of like up and down hill where you're a total layperson person and you appreciate the magic. And at, often at that point, if something is exposed for you, There is only letdown. There's never, you're never impressed, right? Mm -hmm. Like it doesn't matter how impressive the method is. Like I could tell my wife, like, you know, look, I'll explain something and and she'll go, oh, that crazy Spanish man just has the deck memorized. Boring. You know, like she's not impressed by something that I consider super impressive. So there's this kind of hump where you first start learning magic and then you, you get kind of quote unquote jaded, but it's really, it's just that you, you, you're lacking Knowledge, because as Mm -hmm. you go, you start getting disappointed, and like you said, you'll say, "Oh, that was just a double back or just Mm -hmm. a double lift." But then, as you continue to progress in magic, you start growing in appreciation for all those things that, in that middle stage, you weren't appreciating.
0: Yeah, there's an interesting magic's one of the only sort of hobbies or art forms that I've ever experienced or or observed that effect where there you you. You get more and more jaded to a point, and then suddenly you are less and less jaded and more impressed by things as your as your maturity in the art form grows.
2: Yes, it is very unique in that sense.
0: Now, you're a linguist by trading and by uh, by training, and like that's your your quote unquote day job is that you're a linguist. Is that affecting or or is that influencing? your approach to this, where you describe yourself as a magic fan or as John Bannon would say, a passionate hobbyist?
2: Um, a, a little bit, a little bit. Yeah. I, in the sense of, so I, I'm, I'm a linguist by training and trained specifically in ancient languages. And I'm a p- pastor by making money in mm-hmm. the sense of like, my, I, I do adult education. I mm-hmm. teach, you know, ancient Hebrew, ancient mm-hmm. Greek. And, um, paying attention to language has certainly affected, um, everything, everything about me, mm-hmm. uh, the, the nature of language, the nature of, uh, how we use language, pragmatic semantics, all of that has affected me such that I look at what Tommy wonder did when saying, Hey, let's get the miss out of misdirection. Let's call it attention direction. Someone might say, who cares what you call it? If it's the same thing, mm-hmm. but no, no, there's, there's a, a purpose behind, uh, your terminology it it uh, can affect how people view things. What you call something can affect how you actually think about something. and so for me it it was the reason I am so insistent on saying I'm not a magician, I'm a magic fan is because it is really important for the way I view magic. If I were to mm-hmm. call myself a magician, it it wouldn't feel right.
0: Mm-hmm. and you and that feeling is going to change the way you continue to engage with magic. And it's that that distinction changes the your entire either enjoyment or astonishment or whatever feeling magic gives you, and and so by using these specific terms and better defining it, you're I want to say you're you're deepening the relationship in, in some sense.
2: Yes, how we you know in in, in uh, linguistic circles we talk about uh, linguistic determinism or or whorfism which is this idea that your language determines your view of reality now strong linguistic determinism is nonsense but uh you know like if you don't have a word for blue you can't see blue no that the the strong version of that is nonsense but it is Mm -hmm. not nonsense that the language we use shapes the way we think and feel to a degree and like i mentioned before i used to feel angst like an unpleasant angst Mm -hmm. seeing someone so good that i would never be that good and that's an unpleasant kind of like Discouragement. I don't feel that anymore as a fan. I'm, like, I'm free mm-hmm. to just be purely because of the language I've tr- started using and way I've started thinking about myself in relationship to magic, uh, which is facilitated by mm-hmm. the language.
0: It sort of that um, reminds me of there's an old actor's trick where you don't say that you're nervous about a show. You say that you're excited for the show because excited and nervous are sort of born out of the same way. But if you use that. That term, I'm excited about the show coming up, it, it sort of re- psychologically reduces the anxiety surrounding it. And it sounds like you've done the same thing here by owning that terminology and removing the anxiety of watching super talented performers.
2: Yeah. That, that pragmatic effect that you're discussing about which terminology, that is a real thing. That is as real effects
0: Man, well, Jeremiah, thanks so much for joining us here on the Penguin Magic Podcast. This has been an enlightening conversation, and I would encourage our listeners to deeply think about their relationship with magic and consider the way that they view themselves. Because it sounds like it really uh, it freed you up and, and allowed you to create some, you know, really wild and original magic just by changing the terminology with which you view yourself as as uh, as as you engage with magic.
2: Thank you so much for having me. This has been a blast.
0: That's going to do it for this week, kids. Thanks so much to Jeremiah for the conversation, and thanks to you for listening. Next week on the show, I talk to comedian, magician, and most importantly, corporate speaker Adam Christing. If you've ever wanted to find out the secrets to how magicians who double as corporate speakers add an additional zero to their paychecks, this is the episode to listen to. As always, we're a weekly podcast, so be sure you like and subscribe as well as share your favorite episodes on the social media platform that you get your favorite sourdough bread recipes from. If you wanted to reach out to me about anything on this week's show, you can draw me a photorealistic representation of a porpoise dressed in a period-accurate costume of Rutherford B. Hayes for my new website, historicalporpoises.com. But if weird websites based on silly wordplay aren't your thing, you can always hit me up on Instagram at Eric Tate. That's at E-R-I-K-T-A-I-T. From me and everyone else here at the P3 Magic Studios, practice, practice, perform.